Interestingly enough, uh, whether you're here, whether you're at home, it's great to be with you. Um, two years ago this Sunday, we had just finished um, back-to-back heart conferences, and uh, we were preparing another amazing Sunday together, and everything changed. Uh, there was nobody in the building, and everything was shut down. And over the last two years, we've gone through a lot. You know, we've gone through not only a global pandemic, uh, but we've also experienced the murder of George Floyd, which gave once again rise to social injustice and inequality, conversations around Black Lives Matter. As we continued through the pandemic, uh, we experienced lots of hardship. Together, we worked through and are working through various differences and deep disagreements. Um, In the midst of it, we saw in Canada more residential school findings, and our hearts were broken once again by injustice and inequality. And then, of course, as it continued to move forward, we've lived through divisive passports and mandates and various perspectives on those. And I've met with many of you And where your life was two years ago is not where your life is today. Where your family was two years ago is not where your family is today. Some of the friends that you had two years ago are no longer friends today. And none of these things can be just swept under the rug and we sort of move on. And then as we're getting towards whatever this part of the pandemic is, whether it's endemic or whether it's the end, whatever, I don't know what to properly call it. But now you have conflict between Europe in Europe, between Ukraine and Russia, you have an invasion of a country, you have inflation at an incredible rate, you have issues in sub-Sahara Africa, global conflict all around. These are not quote-unquote normal days and normal times. Yet I do think that God always uses people to make a Jesus-sized difference. But here's what else I know is that God has a plan for your life, yes, and that is good and it is encouraging, but so too in all of this does the enemy have a plan. And we get to choose which one that we partner with. Like you and perhaps, you know, know, looking like many of you, I've had a beautiful opportunity to spend time with, you know, kids and with students. And if you don't have students or you don't have kids in your life, let me tell you, the kids are not all right. The students are not okay. There is much that God needs to do. And so as we lean into the story for the next month, looking at the lives of people, I know we are talking about painful situations. Because the story that we want to live in for the next month is an Old Testament story that is full of people and conflict. And it ends with a crisis that is beyond their control, that they can't change by themselves. In their context, it was a famine that didn't last two years, but seven. And I want you to know that anytime you open up your Bible and you are in Genesis all the way to Malachi, you are in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, I want you to know that biblical narrative, it uses characters as a vehicle 
showing us what they do and then what they say and how they engage. And Old Testament characters, the way they are brought to the surface in, in Scripture, Hebrew writers, they would use characters like that you know, like Moses or Joseph, Esther. They're vehicles and they are inviting you to look at the choices that they made in their lives and then to reflect on the choices you are making in your life through perhaps similar and different experiences. This is the heart of it. One thing I also want you to note is that Old Testament characters, like if you watch a movie today, because we are so externally driven, Everything starts off with the physical appearance of the actor or the actress or the setting. Everything is instantly oftentimes to make it either broken or beautiful to allure us or to attract us in. I want you to know the Old Testament could not be more different. In fact, in the Old Testament, the only time that they will ever use or describe a physical characteristic is if it is integral to the story like Esther's beauty or Joseph, who we're going to look at, who is so handsome. It has nothing to do with vanity. It has everything to do with the internal character of a story. And so using characters as a vehicle, they again show choices that they make and they invite us to evaluate our own choices as we learn from them. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't hide the really, really poor choices that people make. It allows you and I to see that God is always working in the mess of what is, as has been said or could be said, that for you to have a testimony, you got to go through some tests. You got to go through some stuff. In order for you to discover God is faithful, usually you really discover God's faithfulness in contrast oftentimes to where we lack faith or are faithless, as Pastor Lori just prayed. And each and every one of us have one thing in common with each and every person in the Old Testament, and that is that we are just human. That who you are and whom you are becoming is directly tied to the choices that you're making. Who we are becoming is directly tied to the choices that we're making, and not making a choice is equally as formative as making a choice. I don't want to make a choice about any of those things. You know, one of the things I often hear, especially from young parents, is, especially if you don't know Jesus, is, well, I want, to, I, want, I want my kids to grow up in, you know, in, in an a-religious environment so they can choose for themselves. Nonsense. That is utter nonsense. There is no way to raise a child in the world today that is blank. Everything is formative, and you making a choice like that is choosing to raise your child in a secular environment. Own your choice. Just own it. Instead of this political or common garbage speak that we use that abdicates all responsibility. Own our choices. Max Dupree says we cannot become what we need to be by remaining who we are. How many of you, whether it's in the chat or here, how many of you in your life need to look more like Jesus? Can I see your hands, please? Then it's going to be tied in the choices that we make. If you're anything like me, though, that's my heart's cry, to be more like Jesus. Yet sometimes I make some really dumb choices that don't lead me in the way of Jesus. We all have choices that we make that impact others and we are all impacted by choices that others make. 
And God, if we let him, can still work all things for good. But this takes time, and this is a biggie. If you're new to church, I pray you grab this. We're going to mention this one a lot over the next month, and it is this. What God allows is never to be confused with what he approves. Sometimes God brings law or things into our lives, not because he approves of it, but to limit the damage that we would do without it. And just because something is in your life and God may have allowed it to occur is never to be confused with his character as though he approves of that happening or occurring in our lives. And so in this story, we're going to see now, it is a family and Joseph's parents are Jacob and Rachel. And Rachel prays for another son and God hears her prayers and she conceives Joseph. And his name is, may God add. That's what Joseph's name means. And he is favored. Everyone whisper favored. There is a dear, dear saint who used to attend Life Center, now lives in Toronto. Her husband is with Jesus, Dr. Carl Nimrod, Noreen Nimrod. And she used to attend Life Center for a number of years before moving to Toronto. And when I would meet her in the hallway, she would always ask me how I was doing. And it was always a setup for me to ask her how she was doing so she could reply the way she wanted to reply. So she would say, Pastor Jason, how are you doing? And I'd never answer the question. And I would say, Noreen, how are you doing? And then she would say, I am blessed and highly favored. And then she would say to me, how are you doing? And I would always respond, I'm fine. And then one day, and she cornered me and said, why do you respond that way? And I said, I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, which is completely rhetorical because, of course, she had read it again and again and again. And I would say to her, because I am terrified of what happens to people who believe they are favored by God. Their life ain't easy. Favor in God's eyes and favor, favor in your eyes is winning the lottery. Favor in God's eyes is putting you through the meat grinder of character development so that you can serve others. We have very different perspectives. It's why when the angel of the Lord shows up in the New Testament to Mary and he says, greeting, O favored one, even though she is a girl and she is a teenager, she is also still Jewish and she knows, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Favor means things different. But Joseph is favored. He really is. And when we first see Joseph, he has gifts and character. They are present, but they're not developed, just like you and I. But they're going to be developed by the choices that he makes. And sadly, they are also going to be developed by the choices that he doesn't make and the choices that others make that influence and affect his life that he has no control over. As much as things have changed in the world, this still is how story is written on all of our hearts. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 4 to 7, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. So when they saw that he was favored, when they saw that he was in this position, that is, their father and mother loved him more than the rest, it says they hated him and they could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. And he has a dream, and I want you to notice this. Joseph has a dream, and his dream is from God. He has a dream. But there is no gap here between his dream and his mouth when we first see him. Joseph has a dream, and he tells his brothers. And here's what the scripture says. 
when he tells his brothers they hated him even more. That is a strong statement. I hate you. Now I hate you even more. That is growing in the wrong direction. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves all gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, Joseph is an extraordinary character that we're going to learn from. But this was an extraordinarily dumb decision. This is a bad choice that he makes. Your brothers hate you. And then you have a dream that they bow down to you. And you think it's a wise thing to share this dream unfiltered with them. Joseph, if there's anybody who wants to hear this dream, go tell it to your mother who favors you. She'll agree with you. In your family, don't tell it to your brothers. They already hate you. But he does. And here's the issue, and I want you to hear me with both ears and your whole heart. Because this isn't a Joseph thing. This is an us thing. Joseph has the right dream, but he has the wrong vision. Oh. You can see something correctly, even in the spirit. But if your spirit ain't right, it doesn't matter what you see. Your heart is not aligned with God's heart. And we're living through much of that in this season. It isn't just what people see. It's they ain't right in here. And when they're not right in here, when the vision isn't aligned with God's heart, it doesn't produce God's fruit. Joseph has the right dream, but he has the wrong vision. How can I be so strong in asserting that statement? Well, Joseph's dream is his brothers bowing down to him. He's correct in one sense. That's the dream, but that's not God's vision. You see, God's vision is, yes, he is going to position Joseph, but Joseph is going to be brought low, not so that his brothers bow down to him, so that he in turn serves them in a time of famine. He has the right dream, but he sees himself from the wrong perspective. He is going to be brought to a place of leadership, but it is not to be worshipped and exalted. And people say, wow, no, 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 no. He is going to be brought to a place where he serves others in the midst of crisis. You can have the right dream for your life, but the wrong vision. If the dream for your life is correct and the vision is wrong, it always looks like you elevating yourself over others. It looks like you putting down others to elevate yourself. It's, you may have the correct dream, but you've got the wrong vision. In the church today, oftentimes we can have the correct theology, but the wrong vision. We can have the correct idea of where something should go, but the heart isn't the same as God's. When we have the right dream and the wrong vision, we overvalue the destination and we underestimate the process. And this is always going to create immense damage. And so again, Joseph knows his brothers hate him. Yet he proceeds to share his dream with them. The dream was from God, but the interpretation sure wasn't. The vision wasn't. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that there is no record in early Genesis when we see Joseph. There's no record of him asking God what this dream means. 
Interesting. Goes right from dream right to his mouth. That happens to many of us too, too, in our innocence and in our zeal and in our desire and in our sometimes just curiosity. Man, this is what God showed me, so of course it's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen, but where we're seeing Joseph and where the end of the story is going to bring us in a month time is going to take about 17 years. That's a long time. It takes 17 years. Why does it take 17 years? Because of the choices that Joseph makes, because of the choices that others make. But here's the beautiful thing. God is still working in the midst of the mess that we make. And that gives me great comfort for the season we find ourselves in. Continuing in Joseph's story, Genesis 37, 9 to 11. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Look, I had another dream. See, because if you make a really bad decision, your next choice is double down on it. That's what he's doing here. Like if you do, if you're making a, if you're making a really dumb driving decision, what's the worst thing you can do is pause in the middle and try to correct it. If you've made a dumb decision, just follow it straight through. Look, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. See the same thread. He told this time, though, he's learning, he's growing, he's changing. Because he tells not only his brothers, he tells them too, but he tells his father. And his father, Jacob, rebukes him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? And it says his brothers were jealous of him. Everyone's whisper jealous. It's a really important word here. It's a really important word. Why do his brothers hate him? Because of his technicolor dream coat? No, they, they, they're jealous of his favor. What is the root of his brother's hatred? It is they're jealous of him. Their jealousy of him is what is driving their hatred, and it's important for you to note that for where we're going. So again, it says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. In other words, Jacob has seen some stuff in his life, and he knows he rebukes his son in front of his brothers not because he disbelieves what God may desire or destine Joseph's life for, but he rebukes his son in front of his brothers because Joseph in his pride at this moment is unaware of how damaging what he's doing to the family relationship is. And so Joseph tries to take a little bit of the heat off of his favored son, so he rebukes him publicly hoping that his brothers will calm down a little bit because they're growing more and more and more angry and jealous and upset with Joseph. So again, Joseph has a gift from God, and it is to interpret dreams. But gifting does not equal character. You can have the greatest gift in the world. You can be the most brilliant orator, the greatest gift of spiritual gift, a required gift, and it may bring you to a platform. It may bring you in work to a position, but never equate where your gift gets you for where your character grows you. See, character opens doors that gifting never can. Gifting can give you a platform, but it can't give you influence. 
You can't be at, you, you can be as people for a season. That was probably a terrible way to express that. I am so sorry. You can, you can, you can, you can lead improperly. You can mistake. I'm trying to cover it up now, but you, you, why, where did that come from? I need to spend more time in prayer this week, but you, you can, you can, you can deceive ah, people for a season. But eventually, they can begin to cipher whether you're living it or not. Not initially, but eventually. This dream, again, is meant to grow Joseph into somebody who serves others, not is bowed down to and serves. And at this moment, Joseph's pride causes him to misinterpret the dream. And while Joseph is tripping over his pride... His brothers are bound by jealousy. And I don't know if you know, but pride plus other people's struggle equals potential conflict. <laughs> when we overvaluate who we are and we underevaluate the struggles of other people are going through, when we are lacking empathy, when we are ignorant of what it is that they are walking through, what they are living through, the hardship that someone else is going through, or the bondage that they're caught in, when we are operating in pride, these two things are going to collide in a way that is problematic for this family. You see, Joseph has the right dream and the wrong vision. Pride has got a hold of his heart at this moment. But his brothers have a misplaced dream. And so their vision is equally skewed. And here's what a misplaced dream looks like. You see, jealousy says in the heart of the brothers that Joseph is the problem. But you know the amazing thing when you look at the story is you can remove Joseph from the equation and he's going to be removed in just a few minutes from the equation. It does nothing for the jealousy. The person that you may be jealous of or envious of or comparing yourself to, they can be removed, but the stain of comparison remains. Because jealousy is usually not ultimately because of somebody else. As Pastor Rhonda so brilliantly shared last week, no, no, jealousy is usually summed up in three words. God owes me. God, why are you blessing them and not me? Why are they getting promoted and not me? Why do they get to do that and not me? Why are they so beautiful and... Mm. <laughs> jealousy surfaces in weird ways in your heart, in life, in mind too. Like you first meet someone and you're like, man, they are just like jacked and ripped. And then they gain 20 pounds and you feel good about it. <laughs> they went through the pandemic and they came out looking a little different. And you're like, I like you better like that. <laughs> they have affluence and they maybe go through a hard season. And somehow in your heart, you don't have pom-poms out, but somehow you're cheering. Something ugly and sinful has got a hold of your heart. And you can remove the person, but that's not the issue. The issue is with God. It's not with them. His brothers don't yet know that. See, Joseph, when he shares his 
incorrect vision, he violates something that Romans 14, 13 later calls the law of love. It's decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother and sister. Please hear me with both ears and your whole heart. Joseph is not at fault for what is about to transpire. But he does bear some responsibility. He is not at fault for what is about to transpire, but he does bear some responsibility. And you and I, when we see, whether it is through revelation or somebody gives us feedback, how our choices impact others, how they may, might be being caused to stumble, we have a follow-up decision to make and we can either assign blame or we can accept responsibility. And God will, to grow us, lovingly paint us into corners where we must choose one of these two options. Do we assign blame? It is their fault and it's always their fault and it's always somebody else's fault and they may be at fault, yes. But accepting responsibility is this. Respect, accepting responsibility is not when somebody else is at fault, you make it your fault. That is not accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility is, is where there is fault. Whatever percentage of the problem is mine, I'll own 100%. Even if I only attributed 5% to this problem, that 5% is entirely mine to own. That is called growing in Christ-like character. It is growing in maturity. Genesis 37, 18 to 20 and 23 to 24 has Joseph who is a little bit blinded by his dream and his pride and his brothers who are bound by jealousy. Now they're going to collide. They saw, his brothers saw Joseph in the distance. Before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. That's not a good day. That's a bad day. This is, you think that's, this is a dysfunctional family moment here. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. And that was not a compliment. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. God's given me a spiritual gift of dream. And that's not a compliment happening right here. That's a setup. So now, come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him in one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what has become of his dreams. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe. And yes, on our way to Easter, Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus who is to come. And so yes, stripping off of his robe should lead you to how Jesus will have his robes stripped off. Yes, there are things that are overarching here. The long sleeve robe that he had on and then they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty without water. That's a painful thud. Two of his brothers, Reuben and Judah, intervene. And instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And yes, that is also a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to Jesus. There are implications all over it. But the difference between Joseph and Jesus 
is that Jesus never, ever needed to grow in his character or his gift. I mean, yes, he grew in wisdom and stature and humanity and all of those things. But what is going to happen to Jesus is not a result of anything that he does. It is a result of the sin and brokenness in this world. This is where Joseph is unlike Jesus. And so in the story where we have ourselves today, Joseph moves from dream to slavery. And everybody says, that's not how I pictured it going in my mind. Could you imagine poor Joseph now at the bottom of a pit thinking, wait a minute. The dream that I had from God was they bow down to me. God, I never saw this step occurring. But what God allows is never to be confused with what he approves of. But in the midst of all things, God can still work anything for our good if we let him. If we don't, we can grow older and never grow in Christ-likeness. And you've met followers of Jesus like that. It doesn't matter how long or how little you've known Jesus that matters most. What matters most is where you let him work, where you let him transform you, where you let him touch your heart. Here's the beautiful thing. For Joseph, he is now positioned in a, God, how, what, how can you work in the midst of this? But here's what I want you to know. The condition of your life, the condition of your life matters deeply and greatly to you as it should. But it's not a difficulty to the God of heaven. Simultaneously, Joseph again moves from dream to slavery and his brothers equally move from dream to slavery. Isn't that interesting? They're just bound by different masters. Joseph is now gone from the family. He's in a pit, but they are all now, all of his brothers are enslaved to a lie. They're enslaved to a narrative that isn't true that is going to affect this family for 17 years. What we believe is powerful, equal to the story that we tell ourselves is also incredibly powerful. Sides can form in the illusion that one is free and the other is bound. But again, the truth is both are bound by different masters. But God, everyone say, but God. But God is still working using people, events, and circumstances in their lives. Do you know what God uses to grow us in 2022? People, events, and circumstances. As I've said again and again, remember what God allows in your life is never to be confused with what he approves of. If you get that backwards, what does it look like when you get that backwards? When you misunderstand what God allows is what God approves, 
you will try, take who God has declared himself to be and you will use perhaps his name, but you will render him as dead and ineffective as any other idol or dead God. See, when God declares himself as healer, it's his name, it's who he is. And when I go through life and I don't experience healing, ah, I can grieve, I can lament, I can mourn as we should. But now I'm faced with a choice. Do I trust that God is who he says he is and regardless of what I see, do I define God based upon my circumstance or is God defined forever by who he is, by his character and his nature? So either I bring God down to my level to appease my feelings or I allow God to remain who he is working in the midst of the very things that I don't understand. If you struggle with pride, God wants to heal how you see yourself. Here's a word from the Lord if you struggle with pride. You're not as good as you think you are. Let me, let me bring it down one more level for all of us. In order to be called Christians, little Christs, followers of Jesus, you know what you bring to the table? Nothing. You say it again. I'm pretty gifted. I'm pretty affluent. I'm pretty smart. You know what you bring to the table of reconciliation? Nothing. It's not what we bring plus the cross. It is the work of the cross plus nothing. I bring nothing, nothing to the equation of reconciliation. Nothing. And so if you think of yourself more highly than you ought, look at the cross and remind yourself that all of your gifts, all of your money, all of your intellect, all of your compassion, all of your empathy, which are all really good things. I'm not diminishing those things, but they do not equal redemption in Christ. They're good gifts. If you struggle with pride, God wants to heal you, see yourself, you're, you're not as great as you think you are. And if you struggle with pride, here's the other side of the coin. You're not as bad as you think you are. I'm worthless. I'm no one. I make mistakes, bad mistakes all the time. I've done X. I've done Y. I've won Z. I've done all of these things. You see, pride is this overabunding arc of always thinking more about ourselves. And it can look like pride in terms of arrogance, but it can also actually paint us forever a victim in our life. And that too denies the cross. Because if you receive redemption, in Christ, which again, you bring nothing to it. Maybe you feel worthless, you feel all these things and you come to the Christ, come to the cross, excuse me, the one thing, the one thing you no longer can identify as in the rest of your life is you may have been a victim here and a victim here and a victim here and a victim in here, but in this one place, you are victorious because of the work of Christ. And so again, pride can look like arrogance, like I think I'm all that and a bag of chips. Or pride can also look like I think of not, like I'm nothing. And if you struggle with pride, God wants to heal how you see yourself. And if you struggle with jealousy and envy, God wants to heal how you see others. 
The brothers were blinded by jealousy and Joseph was blinded by pride. The net result is that both of them couldn't see properly. I'm a little sweaty. Beloved, in 2022, vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you're going to wear your mask after the mandate or you're going to take it off, whether you agree with this or disagree with that, can we just be honest as a church to say the net result of the last two years is that we're not seeing properly? Not because we're bad, although we might be, but because this has been a dizzying and blinding season. God will redeem Joseph's destination and his dream. He will. But Joseph sure isn't going to love the journey. And God's going to reconcile this family. He is. It's going to end in, in, in about a month's time. When we get to the end of the story, it's going to end in a beautiful place. But redemption doesn't mean that 17 years of lost relationship is not also going to stay 17 years of lost relationship. And what we have in front of us as a church is this. I have no doubt that God is going to redeem everything in these last few years. But we get to choose. We get to choose the length of the journey. Today, God is using people Prime ministers, premiers, and mayors. He's using events and circumstances to make us more like him. The enemy is also using prime ministers, premiers, and mayors. And people that we may agree or disagree with. The enemy is also using people, events, and circumstances to make us more like him. Do you have the right dream but the wrong vision? Do you mistakenly see others as the source of all of your problems? Do you assign blame for why you do what you do? Is it always somebody else's fault? Or are you open to owning whatever percent of an issue is yours to own? Look at the choices of Joseph just today. Joseph makes choices and his brothers make choices. And these are vehicles that Old Testament writers are giving us today to evaluate the decisions that we're making. But in your evaluations, don't stop there. See God. Because even when we get it wrong and horribly wrong, if we let him, while Joseph is in a pit, in slavery, and his brothers are enslaved to a lie, if we let him, in the midst of the mess, God can still use all things to work together for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, speak to our hearts. Are our hearts bound by pride? Are we over-evaluating? Maybe we have the right dream, but we have the wrong vision. We don't have your heart. Maybe we can identify with Joseph. Or maybe we're here and we can identify with his brothers that were bound by greed or 
jealousy, envy, something other. Father, we thank you that if the story is not yet good, that you're not done. May we have the humility to invite you, whether we find ourselves in a pit or in a lie. Father, may we invite you in and may you do what only you can do. Amen.